Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. morning, Legacy Nashville. My name is Michael Miller. I am the senior pastor of Upper Room based in Dallas, Texas. It is such a joy and honor uh, to be with you this morning. I have deep admiration and respect and love for your pastors, uh, Allison and Lyle Phillips. I have been tracking with Legacy Nashville for a few years, just been so encouraged by your pursuit of Jesus and building a home for the presence of God. Uh, I've been highly encouraged by your prayer sets. Um, I've been tuning in and praying with you. Uh, I believe the Lord is inviting us uh, to discover what he meant when he said, my house will be a house of prayer. It was his definition for his house. And in this hour that is so strange and unprecedented, being quarantined, not being able to meet in uh, large gatherings, I believe he's calling us to the secret place to encounter him, to do that as families, to do that in small groups. And so I just want to speak to you uh, about Jesus's house being a house of prayer. And I think it is one of the most exciting and adventurous opportunities that we have to discover what it is to be a house of prayer. So again, such an honor and a joy. We've been praying for Nashville. I know you guys were hit by storms once again uh, this week and the tornadoes that recently hit. Uh, we've been praying for Nashville, praying for the church in Nashville, praying for legacy Nashville, and just believing that God is doing something in all of the shakings that many people are gonna come to know him. So uh, again, it's an honor uh, to be with you. I wanna just share a little bit of my story and how the upper room emerged. Many of us know us through our YouTube moments um, that we're putting online. Uh, we we uh, kind of for the longest time, we did nothing online. We did no YouTube. We, had, uh, we didn't even have a website uh, for the first six years of our church. We uh, really had uh, the most unconventional church plant that I know of. Uh, my wife and I started a prayer meeting in Oak Lawn, which that, that neighborhood probably means nothing to you. But when you say Oak Lawn in the city of Dallas, that's known as the homosexual district of Dallas. It's a church planting graveyard. Uh, churches came and went uh, while we were just hosting a prayer meeting um, in this area of town. Uh, I had an invitation from a business owner. He owned a veterinarian clinic and above his veterinarian clinic, his corporate offices were there. And he had cleared out about 3,000 square feet for prayer and worship. And when I met him, he said, hey, I've got this room. We call it the upper room. Would you and your wife want to pray? And we were in transition uh, in regards to ministry. I'll start my 20th year of ministry this August. So I had done a lot in the city and some of it had been around prayer, but I was kind of the traditional senior pastor and we were uh, interviewing at various churches and had time to come down to Oak Lawn and pray. And so we said yes to this business owner and thought we would just go for a couple of weeks. And those couple of weeks turned to a couple of months, which now has been a decade where the Lord has really uh, reframed in my eyes uh, his view of the church 
and how I am to lead as a pastor and a leader of his church. And so I'll give you a little of that framework. And then my hope is just to give you some very practical ways for you to engage the Lord uh, in the place of prayer. And so I think we can do some of that uh, towards the end of the message, do it in your home, do it with your small group. And uh, again, my hope is to increase your faith uh, in his description of his house, that his house would be a house of prayer. So um, in that season, the early days of the upper room, it was small beginnings. Uh, I believe it's in the book of Nehemiah. It says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Um, but we uh, had these small beginnings um, and it was just uh, us being stripped of all of our strengths. Um, because in those early days, um, I didn't uh, really enjoy uh, the, the culture of the district. I was called to the homosexual district. I just didn't have a heart for it. Um, I, I, I wanted to plant a church potentially, but if I was going to choose a neighborhood to plant a church, it would have been in the burbs. Um, there's people that look like me, act like me in the suburbs, but I could not find myself in Oak Lawn. Uh, I was being hit on regularly in Oak Lawn. Uh, Again, the homosexual initiative, although I love those that struggle with that issue, I just wasn't pierced by it. And so um, as the Lord was whittling me down of my gifts, my strengths, the, my sermons weren't working when I attempted to preach and the Lord cornered me in the early days. And he, he said this thing to me and it, it's really marked my heart. He said this, he said, son, I did not call you down to Oak Lawn to minister to people. I first and foremost called you to Oak Lawn to minister to me. And man, that phrase really rocked me because one, I didn't have a, a, a paradigm for ministering to the Lord. I had a paradigm for ministering to people. I had a paradigm for ministering the needs of people. And in that phrase, I thought, Lord, what in the world does it mean to minister to you? You're God of the universe. You don't need ministry. You don't have needs. You're omniscient. You're omnipotent. You're omnipresent. Like I am here to serve you by meeting people, by telling people about you. But as I began to dig in the scriptures, I began to see this ministry. It, it, there's a phrase throughout the Old Testament. Um, it is the Levites carried a heart to minister to the Lord. Samuel, when he was young, was ministering to the Lord. Uh, David ministered to the Lord. Ezekiel talks about ministering to the Lord. Uh, in the book of Acts, Acts 13, a New Testament example is the church at Antioch. The leaders were ministering to the Lord by fasting and praying. And that's when Saul was actually designated, called, and sent. And so this term, ministry to the Lord, uh, although I, I read it and I heard the Lord invite me into it. I began a journey discovering what it meant to first and foremost minister to the Lord or to create a community whose priority was ministering to him. And I believe it's the hallmark quality of the house of prayer. You know, Jesus said, uh, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he, he really, this is God being asked what's most important to God. And he said this, he said, to love the Lord your God. To love God is the greatest commandment. And I believe communities are being established in this hour whose primary priority is to minister to the Lord and to love him. And it's from the place of loving him that we love people. And I believe God is beckoning us back to our first love in this hour 
to minister to the Lord, to create houses that are marked by loving him, by ministering to him. And the quality, like the hallmark quality of that house, what, the distinguishing mark of that house will be his presence. That prayer is unto hosting him. And I believe this is at the heart of what Legacy Nashville is building. You're building a house that is first and foremost called to be marked by the presence of Jesus. And so when I say uh, a house of prayer, I want you to hear it being a house marked by the presence of Jesus, that prayer is a means. Prayer isn't the end. The end is Jesus and prayer is a means that we as people collectively minister to him. And so I'm imagining there was some worship before the message. And I tell our people, the message is for you, but worship is for him. And we want to love him in order to love one another. We want to love him in order to love the lost. And so we have had an experiment going on here in Dallas, Texas, learning what it means to be a house of prayer, learning what it means to be a house marked by the presence of Jesus. You know, I say this, when when, when we welcome the Lord, uh, whether it's in our homes or in corporate gatherings, when we gather around the Lord, he is the guest of honor. So when he comes, he's the guest of honor. But here's the thing is that he is the Lord of hosts. And so the one who is the guest of honor, when he comes into our midst, he becomes the host. And so I, as a leader, want to establish a culture where I am the first follower of our leader, who is Jesus. And Jesus comes by his presence, by his spirit. And I believe even now, as I'm teaching, that you're going to sense the presence of the Lord come into your home, come into your living room. And we want to be super sensitive to his leadings and to his promptings. Like I am very grateful for the structures that we have for, for uh, you know, the order of worship, for the, the designated time for worship, the designated time for prayer, the designated time for preaching. But all of those things need to be held very loosely so that the leadership of the spirit or the lordship of the spirit is the goal. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I believe the Lord is, is, is again, raising up a new breed of leaders and he's raising up new wineskins of houses that are learning to host the Lord. They're learning to host Jesus. Because Legacy Nashville, I believe we're out of options. I believe we only have one option and the option is Jesus. We need to return back to the Lord collectively, universally. We are being stripped of our strengths. We're being stripped even now of corporate gatherings. But I believe it's because the Lord is pruning us. He's, 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 he's correcting and, and disciplining and pruning and growing us into maturity. But I believe it's unto us having singular vision for the one. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, beloved. We, we really don't have any other options. I heard a story um, of a Hall of Fame uh, handball player. His name is George Quam. Uh, 
And George Quam played handball in the 1920s. And I guess handball was a big deal in the 1920s. But if you look, in, 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 in 1930, he was inducted into the Handball Hall of Fame because of his track record. He was, he was a champion when it came to handball. But George Quam, there was something unique about him, is that George Quam only had one arm. He only had one arm, which meant he only had one hand. <laughs> and I don't know much about handball, but I'm assuming that your hands are really important for handball. And George was asked a question. He said, every time you show up on the court, you're at a disadvantage because your opponent has two hands. You only have one. He, they said, what's the secret to your success? And George, without missing a beat, he said, it's simple. The secret to my success is options. I don't have any. I only have one. When my opponents are figuring out which hand to use, I'm already committed to the one. And I feel like we need to realize that we are much like George Quam. We are one-handed handball players. We only have one option, and that option is Jesus. And I believe people are actually looking for him in this hour. And when they get around people that have a singular vision for the one, for the one, they're provoked into love and they're provoked into our pursuit. The pursuit is him. And the conviction that I have is that the presence of Jesus, we're talking about building homes for the presence of Jesus, and that the presence of Jesus Get this, the presence of Jesus is actually Jesus. <laughs> that the presence of Jesus is Jesus and our response to the presence of Jesus is our response to him. And so when he comes into our secret place, when he comes into our living rooms, when he comes into our meetings, we need to be so sensitive to him. And I believe he's raising up houses that understand how to host him, how to rightly respond to him, how to rightly love him, how to rightly host him. I believe he's raising up leaders that are first and foremost followers. I believe it's what marked David's life, a man after God's own heart. What God found in David is God found a man who would put the presence or the ark of God before anything else. David actually built a house of prayer by building the tabernacle of David. And I'm not gonna talk a ton about the tabernacle of David, but it's summed up by Psalms 27.4. In Psalms 27.4, it's a life verse for our house, and I'm certain it's something that Lyle has taught, taught on, but it says, one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to dwell in his house all the days of my life. You see, this, this verse define David's life. And it's actually a verse that's written in a very, very hard season of his life. He was troubled, he was surrounded, and he was in dire straits. But he says, even in the midst of pain and trouble, I'm putting this pursuit before me. He would do it in success when he was crowned king. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse three, it's his ordination when the entire nation is gathered around 
uh, to hear why God has anointed David to be king. He came out of nowhere. The nation was divided and David is gonna stand up and he's gonna give basically his make America great again slogan or mantra for his hour. It's gonna mark his political leadership. But in 1 Chronicles 13, three, he says this. He says, we as a people are going to seek the ark of God for we did not do it in the days of Saul. What's he saying? We are gonna pursue God's presence. This pursuit has marked my life. And now that I'm leading you, it's going to mark us as a nation. We are going to go after the presence of God. And I believe God's raising up a people whose pursuit is singular and under this one option. And his name is Jesus. I believe the greatest missions movement is going to flow out of this one pursuit. I believe the greatest evangelistic movements are going to come forth from this one pursuit. I believe the great greatest church planning movements are going to come forth from this one pursuit. In fact, I believe there's entrepreneurs. I believe there's singers. I believe there's songwriters. I believe there's politicians. I believe there's mothers and fathers. As we put this one thing before all things, he's going to bring divine alignment and order to our lives. And we're going to find blessing and grace that meets us in this pursuit. But I just believe we need to come back to the simplicity and purity of devoting our hearts to him. He's the solution. He's the answer in the name of Jesus. Come on, baby, I'm getting fired up. I'm in an empty room, so I need an amen crowd. So I'm gonna say amen to myself, amen and amen. Let's be people that are marked by the one thing. In Legacy Nashville, I believe this is a part of your DNA. I believe it is so intrinsic to who you are as a community. The, 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 the movement here at Upper Room, it, it has been marked with young millennials renewing their faith in a Jesus they attempted to leave. Many people are deconstructing you know, their faith and beliefs and evangelical fun, fundamentalism. And there's all these words that we're throwing around, but when they get in the presence of an authentic pursuit of the presence of Jesus, where man, people are loving him wholeheartedly. There's an abandoned just heart and obsession with this pursuit. I have watched the hardest of hearts melt in environments where this singular devotion is there. And I believe there are hurting millennials, hurting young people looking for what you're going after. And the Lord is solidifying it in this season. Legacy Nashville, let's do this, baby. Let's emerge and let's present to a generation that has a ton of questions about who God is and what he's like. Let's create a culture that when they come in, they see people loving him. And as they come into a culture where genuine love is expressed, genuine love is released to him, I believe it awakens their destiny. The thing they were created to do is first and foremost, love him. Woo! Okay, so Jesus though, he's, he's cleaning out the house. He's cleaning out the temple. And in Matthew 21, if you would go there, we just have a couple of minutes, but in Matthew 21, uh, it's Palm Sunday. He's cruising into Jerusalem. And, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And Jesus uh, gets off the donkey and it says that everyone is asking one question. Everyone's asking one question. And the question is this, it's, it's Matthew 21, 
verse 20. The whole city of Jerusalem, as he comes in on the donkey, is asking the most important question a heart can ask. They're asking this, who is this? Who just came into our city? Who is everyone yelling about? Who is this one? The entire city, the entire religious community, the uh, believers, unbelievers, there's business, marketplace, people, everyone is wondering who is causing this commotion. And they're asking, again, the most important question any heart can ask is who is Jesus? Who is he? And as they turned and looked, the crowd had an answer. So the crowd said, oh, this is the prophet from Nazareth, which, which, on a baseline level, I mean, you, you, could, you could say that's true. It's not the highest revelation of Jesus, but he certainly was a prophet and he was from Nazareth. So they give factual information. But I love what Jesus does because we're talking about uh, his house being a house of prayer. But as Jesus, he's at the southern steps of the temple. He's ridden uh, into the city and he enters up the, 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 he goes up the southern steps into the temple and he observes what's happening in the temple. And in verse, uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's chapter 21, verse 12, 11 and 12. In verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple and he clears it out. He starts driving out those that were buying, selling. He overturned the tables the money changers, and the seats of those who were selling doves. So you're familiar with this story. He, he cleanses it out. This is his second time to do it. But he makes this statement. After clearing out the house, he makes this statement. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of robbers. And from that place, he called the blind and the lame. He heals them. And then the children started to praise him for the deeds that he was doing. I was recently uh, in Israel and my friend, Rabbi Jason, um, and I were sitting on the Mount of Olives and uh, uh, we were overlooking just the Temple Mount, overlooking the, 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 the Eastern Wall and you can see parts of the Southern Wall. And I started talking to him about this story, like where did Jesus ride in? And, uh, and we started talking about this account and he said, Michael, what's so interesting about this account is the day that this happened, the day that Jesus rode in and the day that he cleansed out his father's house is the same day that Exodus 12 verse 15 was happening. And I was like, well, what's Exodus 12 verse 15? And, uh, uh, and he, he took me there and, and it was the beginning of Passover week. So Palm Sunday is the beginning of Passover week. And at the beginning of Passover week, uh, Moses commanded the Israelites that seven days before Passover, in verse 15, it says that you shall eat no unleavened bread. And on the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So seven days before Passover, you would clean your house out of leaven. And Hebrew tradition or Jewish tradition is that the fathers would actually play a game with their children and they would reward them for any leaven that they found in their house. So a father would come to his house seven days before Passover. He would have gifts and he would say, we're going to play a game. Any, any of my children that find leaven and bring it to me, we're going to remove it and I'm going to reward you. So get this, <laughs> the day Jesus 
enters in on Palm Sunday and the people outside are asking, who is this one? He enters into his father's house and he cleans it out of all leaven. He cleans it out of other influences. Leaven represents sin or influences in our lives, in our hearts. And Jesus cleanses out his father's house of any influences that are disrupting or, uh, yeah, disrupting or causing them not to be about their main thing, which is prayer, them being in relationship with the Lord. And I believe that's what he's doing in this hour. I believe he's cleansing us of leaven. He's cleansing our hearts of other influences so that we can return back to the purity and simplicity of devoting ourselves to him as individuals and as people connecting with him in prayer. And so how do we do that? Because I believe that question that they were asking outside, one of the reasons I wanted to share this, this narrative is I believe the question that they were asking outside the temple, who is this, should have been answered on the inside of the temple. Because the, the, the house of the Lord is designated by the name of the Lord. And the house of the Lord should be a place where we worship him and worship is agreeing with who God is. So worship and prayer go hand in hand. A community that's worshiping is a community that's praying. A community that's declaring who he is is a community that is worshiping and developing a stronghold or clarity around the revelation of who God is. And so let me just give you three simple ways we establish a house of prayer. Um, one is, is that we establish a house of prayer through worship. So worship is agreeing with who God is. It's me agreeing with his name. So if I agree that God is holy, if I say, God, you're holy, I'm worshiping God by telling my heart and establishing my life around that reality. He is holy. Holy And the Holy Spirit, through me saying that and you agreeing with it, it establishes his name in our midst. And so a house of prayer is a house that first and foremost is engaging the Lord in worship by establishing his nature and his character. And when a community in faith gathers around his name or around worship or around the exaltation of who he is, is faith comes alive in our hearts around his nature and his character. I could list off a number of names. I could say that God is holy. I could say that God is faithful. I could say that God is love. I could say that God is worthy. I could say that God is patient. I could say that God is kind. I could list off all the attributes or characteristics of the Lord. And when we collectively tell God who he is, we are establishing in faith with one mind, one heart, one voice, a stronghold in the spirit that this is who our God is. The Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're saved or they find safety. And I believe this is what the house of prayer, a house of worship establishes. It establishes the name, nature, characteristic of 
God. And I believe when people come into a house of prayer or a house of worship that's exalting his name, agreeing with his identity, they come into cultures where that unity hits and the Holy Spirit confronts them of false paradigms of who they thought he was or who he wasn't. But it's in those moments that the eyes of their hearts are enlightened to who he is. We've seen so many people saved through worship, through us just telling God who he is. And I believe that's the primary expression of a house of prayer is a house that's unified in worship, unified in spirit, agreeing with who the Lord is. So a house of prayer is first and foremost at its primary, a house of worship or a house that's centered around the name of the Lord. So how do we establish that? Well, I want to back up because I believe before um, we enter into worship and start beholding the Lord, uh, I believe we have to enter in with thanksgiving. So I'm, I'm kind of reverse engineering this. Uh, our acronym for our house of prayer is TWI. So the W is worship, which we just talked about. What, what precedes worship, so before we get to the place of worship, is thanksgiving. And the Bible says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving we enter his courts with praise and then we bless his name. That's Psalms 100. So we always as a community enter in with thanksgiving. So before I worship, I wanna bring an offering to the Lord. We don't show up empty handed. So we start with thanksgiving. We start bringing, a, bringing the Lord an offering of thanksgiving to engage our hearts and to open our hearts to the Lord. So here in just a second, we're gonna start out by giving thanks. And then we're gonna go into the place of worship. Thanksgiving leads us to worship. Thanksgiving, bringing an offering, helps us to see him rightly. And that's seeing who he is, which is worship. And then, so we have Thanksgiving, we have worship. And then the I is intercession. So Thanksgiving leads us to worship. And as we see him for who he is, that leads us into intercession. And intercession is us agreeing with what he wants to do. So if we know right now that the Lord is faithful and we're worshiping him, declaring faithful, you're always faithful, true, you're always true, you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me, you're good. I forgot the words exactly, but it's faithful, you're always faithful. And we're coming onto the revelation of his faithfulness. Well, from that place, I then wanna pray into areas where we can agree that he's gonna be faithful to those that maybe have lost work in this season of coronavirus. Maybe, maybe uh, you haven't received a paycheck. Maybe, um, maybe there's shakings where there's been loss. I, I don't know uh, what you're going through, but as we declare his faithfulness, we can pray into areas of our lives where we need his faithfulness to show up. We're saying, God, I believe that you're faithful and I'm gonna administer your faithfulness into my work. And I am declaring when there seems to be no way, because you're faithful, oh God, I'm taking heart in your nature and I'm declaring to my path, Lord, you will open a door. You will make a way where there seems to be no way. So from the place of worship, we intercede. And this honestly is the simplicity of our house of prayer. Thanksgiving, we show up bringing an offering. We listen to the Holy Spirit through Thanksgiving. We hone in to a dimension of who the Holy Spirit is highlighting Jesus to be. And from that place, we intercede for ourselves, for our families, for our friends, from our cities, and from our nation. So TWI, Thanksgiving, worship, intercession. So here's what I encourage you to do in closing. 
I wanna encourage you to set a timer in your house. And I would encourage you for two to three minutes, do two and a half minutes, two minutes, 30 seconds, start it and give thanks. Thank him for the littlest of things. Thank him for the breath in your lungs. Thank him for uh, his, his goodness in your life. Thank him for your history with him. Thankful, thank him for Legacy Nashville. Thank him for Pastor Lyle and Allison. Thank him for your leadership. Thank him. Just give him thanks and feel your heart ignite. Now, from that place, I want to set before you uh, the, the attribute of his faithfulness. And so from the place of thankfulness, I want you to go into worship and worship him for his faithfulness. Declare, Jesus, you're faithful. Jesus, I am grateful that you're faithful. And just sing a song of his faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Go into a song about his faithfulness, but declare you're faithful. Tell it to him. Tell him he's faithful. Look him in the eyes and say, you're faithful to me. And then as your heart comes alive and you sense the Holy Spirit, just magnifying the faithful one before your heart, then I want you to take areas of your life, and I want you to declare his faithfulness over it. Declare faithful over your kids. Declare faithfulness over your finances. Declare faithfulness over your future. And intercede now based on seeing the Lord as faithful. Now, there's, there's a number of ways we can grow in TWI and understanding Thanksgiving worship and intercession, but this is a high-level understanding of how we enter in regularly and learn how to engage the Holy Spirit and let the Spirit of God author faith in our hearts around the person of Christ and the knowledge of him leading us into the hand and what he wants to do in our lives through the characteristic or the nature. So I hope this makes sense. I'm giving you a ton of revelation uh, in a short amount of time. And so I love you, Legacy Nashville. I'm believing that he's establishing a house of prayer there in Nashville. I hope to see you face to face. I hope we can double date sometimes. L Legacy can come down to Dallas. We can come up to Nashville and party. I believe we are kindred spirits in the Lord's emerging communities like ours to again, discover what Jesus meant when he said, my house will be a house of prayer or a house of relationship with me and me with them. God bless you, Legacy Nashville. I love you. We're out. Thanks for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.